January 26th, and this hour of Flames Talk getting going on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's a Friday, which means it's Steinberg and Eric Francis from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. It's time for the Eric Francis Hour, brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta. The Alberta horse racing and breeding industry has an $83 million positive economic impact in Calgary annually. Visit thehorses.com, 18-plus Please play responsibly. And Eric joins us now from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. Hello, Francis. How are you, my man? I am well. I am well. Um, that was uh, that was real ugly on Thursday night. Hey, that was uh, that was a real ugly game five of a six game homestand. Ugly but eventful. Like there were very eventful. There were a lot of little tiny things happening all throughout it, but and it also, you know. The big story with Shillington going in, uh, the big story coming out of it to me is like I think it's officially, not officially, but it's 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 unofficially over. You know, any thoughts that this team can stay in this race? Um, and I think the Shillington story, as nice as it was, did a did a, a good job at masking, right? You know, the the sadness for some people, the realization that oh wow, four losses at home in a row at a crucial juncture just before a break where you kind of want to go into it with some momentum, all that's lost. And, and it's against some two bottom bottom feeders. I just think that, uh, you know, it, it was, it was a night of mixed emotions and, and it was a day where they lost Ruzicka. They lost De Simone. Yeah. Uh, AJ Greer's gone for a considerable amount of time. Like the, there were just a lot of things that happened yesterday and I'm not sure what people are, you know, I think people are not sure what to feel after a, after a night like that. There, well, there were just so many things going on. As as a wise man once said uh, on on Twitter or or X, uh, I believe a wise man once said, "Let the trading begin." Um, and <laughs> and that, of course, is is Eric Francis on Twitter at Eric Francis. Um, but that's that's kind of what last night signified for you, right? Is that. Yeah, as you just said, it's unofficially over in your minds, and and this team is is not going to be where they want to be inside that locker room. You're you're kind of ready to wave the white flag for them on the season, and and really go full bore into reshaping this franchise between now and March eighth. Yeah, and I, I think that the organization's been pretty singularly minded that every move they make is going to be with the long term. Yeah, in mind, but but I think you. I think it's easy to be clouded a little bit. And as a team really starts to come together as they had for the previous month and a half, you could start to think, well, maybe I owe it to these guys to maybe not sell the farm and maybe I can straddle that line a little bit. And I know that's what frustrates everyone because they've been straddling a line for 30 years. But, you know, just to, to, to kind of clarify what you had said and to, and to put in perspective why I said let the trading begin. First of all, to me, these three games going into the break, the St. Louis game the Columbus game and then tomorrow Saturday's game against Chicago to me it, and I'd said this on the TV broadcast yeah the first of the three games listen you don't get six of six points or at least five of six then I think it's 
it's pretty clear that this team's not ready to to compete for a playoff spot this year. And then they go and lose the first two in horrific fashion, really. One was a choke job, and the second one, they weren't really ever in it other than maybe the first period. You know, I mean, it's 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 a definitive response to the question, can this team really stay in this race? To me, the answer is no. So it's with that in mind. It's with them losing their entire fourth line over the course of five huh. days. It's with, you know, all these things swirling around that it's like, okay, you know what? And my big point was, Craig Conroy, I've said to him all year long, man, your job is so much easier if this team just sucks. It really is. I know no GM would agree with me, but I say that meaning when you know that you're not playing for this year, you're just looking at, you know, whatever your horizon is, two years from now, one year, three years. You're not clouded by what's going on on a day-to-day basis. You're just looking long-term. It's so much easier to make trades and start formulating asks and looking around the league, scouting and formulating what you want in return for these assets. Uh, if you're trying to kill two birds with one stone, which you know is a lot harder, then 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 it complicates things. So I, I think yeah. that now you can be completely clear-minded. Craig Conroy can spend the break. Uh, I'm sure he's going somewhere Tahiti. Uh, maybe he's going to Cabo. I don't know. <laughs> I'm kidding. He's not going anywhere. He'll be in the war room with all the guys, and they'll be talking about what they do next. And I think it's guns blazing soon after we come back from the break. I'm not saying they're going to start the trading a week in, but I think every focus and every meeting is now on, okay, it's time to really start focusing on this. Because the one thing I worry about for more than anything for, you know, for fans who really care about this team is, you know, that happened to AJ Greer last night. And I don't think anybody thought that the flames were going to go flip AJ Greer for anything, anything on the trade market. Uh, but you've lost an asset there. What if that happened to somebody else, right? That you were thinking about trading right. and you lose them and right. you lose that, 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 that's significant. So now you're in the zone where it's the go time to me. And, uh, and, and, and I think that's, they're going to be their focus hundred percent. Well, and, and Eric, it's, it's interesting because I, um, you know, I remember driving home uh, from the heritage classic in Edmonton and, and just had happened to have the pleasure of driving home with, with you and, and Vickers and, you know, we were obviously all kinds of conversations and, and, and I just, that was right around the time that the organization put the pause button or slammed the pause button on contract negotiations. And it was right around the time where they were like, okay, let's just step back here and let's step away from figuring out what we want to do and what Hannafin's deal might look like or Lindholm's deal might look like. We got to step back and really evaluate and basically Craig Conroy said, I can't be signing anybody right now. They were off to a horrible start at the time. And and right there in late October, early November, Francis, I think they've been pretty pretty set on the direction they're going to go for quite some time. But to your point, like I think they've known what the the likely direction is, but they've left the door open, right? They've left the door open yep. to be convinced. And, and to be convinced that maybe the road that they've probably picked, maybe they could divert a little bit or go down a slightly different one or a completely different one. And on January 26th, when we're talking right now, we're exactly five weeks from the trade deadline. You've got that. You've got that five-week period or you've got the 130 games prior with this core. And I, I don't know. 
It's hard to convince me, and I would imagine even harder to convince Craig Conroy and management that anything that happens in the next five weeks can now deter them from what the 130 games has proven to them since the beginning of last season, if that makes any sense. It feels like they're out of runway to convince them otherwise. No, well put, and and it's kind of what I'm coming at it in a different direction, saying, um, you know, it's that experiment or those – those days where you were just still trying to figure yeah. out who you were, what you were, are over. So I'll I'll go now to the next step, which is okay. So you've determined that this core is not the core to kind of invest in and move forward with. So what? <laughs> so obviously the question is what to do now. You know, I I, I don't see anyone who thinks that Lindholm uh, should or will be signed. I I know. Just contractually, there's they're not even Such in the same a gap, realm, right? Yeah, it's, so it's that that's that ship has sailed. So everyone agrees. I'm sure in management, I'm sure most fans that that parting of the ways is going to happen. Um, and so that there's one, but the other two, like, are you going to sit here and tell me you've seen enough? And over the last 130 days, you're telling me that Noah Hannafin is not part of the solution; he's part of the problem. Because I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that. I, th- I think he can be part of the solution, and like that's not. I guess I'm throwing out the question to you. You know, after 130 games, have you identified what the problems are? The only thing that I've identified is that the the roster as is isn't good enough. The the, the problem for me is the roster as is isn't good enough to be a Stanley Cup contender. Maybe sure. maybe be a wild card team, but not to be a perennial cup contender and that's you know it's funny you bring up Hannafin because then that brings up a real interesting conversation I think I know where you sit on it and I think there's a lot of people who sit on this side of it too and I don't even think it's particularly wrong to think this way but if this roster as is isn't good enough and they clearly need to change the roster to make it better for two or three years down the road and, and be a team, I think that we've all now kind of highlighted. I know that you and, and Ryan have talked about it on intermissions. We've talked about it a little bit t- here is that, you know, that, that target of when a new building opens on the east side of downtown and when we're talking about a replacement for the Scotiabank Saddledome, can they be a good team then can they have built themselves so like they're right around ready to be much better at that point in two or three years, three or four years. That doesn't mean they have to be awful for that time, but can they build towards something like that? And and the question then becomes if the the changes need to be made, is Noah Hannafin better suited to be a part of that? Or is Noah Hannafin better suited to be a piece that you use to bring in other pieces that can be part of that? That's that's what it comes down to with Noah. And that's that's kind of you know the, the way you phrase the question there in terms of is he part of the problem? No, I don't I don't think he is part of the problem. And then I think it's for a lot of different people to uh, work out whether or not he remains part of the solution. Yeah, and that's the debate. And I'm sure that that and, and if, if you think he's part of the solution, at what price? What, what price is he part of the solution? If he wants $9 million a year, obviously he's not part of the solution. He's part of the problem. So that's what they've got to find out right now as they have contract talks ongoing with Noah Hannafin. What's the price that makes sense where he can be part of the solution moving forward? And, and yeah, you, I've been on record. I, I'll still stay on record. Even uh, I still think he's part of the solution. I still think he should remain a core part of your team. But that all goes back to me. You know, I don't believe in burning the thing down. And I know, I know the reality is that they're not going to burn right. the thing down. So, 
So if you're still going to try and be competitive and, 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 you know, you'll be picking, you know, somewhere between eighth and 12th every year, you know, that to me is still okay. Um, and, and that's better than being the Buffaloes of the world or the Edmonton Oilers up until the last couple of years, you know, you're constantly, constantly burning it down, starting again. And then the, it, the, the kindling won't light and you're burning it down again. And you're just like, you know, it's just awful. So, um, I believe in retooling. That's the the buzzword I've used all year, and I'll stand by it. You won't hear me say the word rebuild because I don't believe that that's what's going to happen here. I think it's a retool, and I know that frustrates some people, but that's the reality of what's going to happen here. So how much is it's how much goes into this retool? In that, and we we've had the talks like we've we've identified. The obvious three, right? We've identified the the three pending yeah. UFAs. We've talked about Markstrom and Vladar before. Is there anybody else that that enters this conversation? Like, is there anybody untouchable for Craig Conroy right now? And, and I'm talking, you know, I'm, I'm not talking about the young players. We know that this team is trying to get younger. So I think it would be silly to start talking about, well, they should trade Coronado or they should be thinking about moving Zeri for a veteran. No, no, I'm not having those, not asking that question, but of like the veteran established players on this team. If somebody comes calling about, you know, a left wing, left winger X or somebody like that. I, I wonder if you're talking about other potential names, not, not for sure being moved out, but maybe Craig Conroy does entertain a few other phone calls than maybe we would have anticipated. And, and maybe there's a surprise here between now and the trade deadline. Maybe there's a name that we haven't buzzed about a ton that also gets moved out because somebody really covets them. And the same thing is true. Craig Conroy evaluates and says, yeah, you know what? Is this guy going to be part of our ultimate solution in two, three, four years? And if the answer is no, even if they're not a pending UFA, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And I do believe there will be a surprise. You know, someone will be talking about whether it could be a Markstrom, whether it could be, you know, an Andrew Mangiapane. I, I mean, Andrew Mangiapane is an interesting one to me because he's got one year left on yeah. his deal. The problem is... I mean, if you do think you might want to move him, it's, you know, he's making $5.8 million. That's a lot of money given the production that he's come forth with this year and even last year following that 35-goal season. So, yeah, maybe you could sell a team and say he's a 35-goal scorer and he never played a minute on the top line that year and uh, hardly did anything on the power play that year, but still got 35 goals in a supporting role. That's an amazing number. And there may, may be some teams that are interested in biting on something like that. And, and, and you'd, you'd might make that trade thinking, well, Mangiapane probably not happy with the ice time he's been getting in Calgary because he's been on the third line all these years. They never really ever give him first line minutes and he's probably not going to resign here. He's going to go try and start somewhere fresh after next year. You know, these are, these are things that I think are discussed. Um, but I just don't know if his marketability is there. Now, someone, I was just, uh, doing some golf simulation today with some buddies. And the first thing uh, one of the guys brought that up is was... such an Eric Francis sentence. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, yeah, hitting into the screen. You know what I mean? Not I know, I know. Simula- I, know yeah. I know exactly what you mean, and I, was, I pictured it immediately. I'm trying to get the swing in tune. I'm going away <laughs> next week to golf, you know? Anyway, but, okay, fair enough. You can make fun of that. Um, oh, I thought it was cute. The first thing the guy brought up was, well, they got to trade Blake Coleman. And my, you know, my first reaction was, are you kidding me? Like, this guy's the, the best story on this team this year outside of Connor Zary. Like, you can't trade him. 
But then, you know, you think about it, and, you know, listen, the same reason why Rasmus Anderson said to me that Chris Tanev should be untouchable, and and even though he's obviously not untouchable, but it's the same rationale with a Blake Coleman. It, wherever you are in a, in a retool, even if they did do a rebuild, again, I don't think so, but if it's a retool, whatever, you need the Blake Coleman's and the Chris Tanev's to be the ultimate mentors and role models. This is how you practice. This is how you deal with the media. This is how you conduct yourself you know, behind closed doors with your teammates. This is how you play the game. This is how you remain selfless. Those two guys are the most selfless players I've seen in Calgary, yeah, yeah. maybe in my 30 years of covering this team. Those are the guys you build a franchise around, in my opinion. But the argument some people will throw out there and say, well, Blake Coleman's value is never going to be higher than it is right now. And I don't disagree with that given how shocking these numbers are that he's producing offensively while also being one of the better defensive forwards in the league. So I think everything's on the table, except for, of course, Jonathan Huberto. That's that's not on anybody's table. That's not a possibility right now, maybe down the road, but not now. Not in year two of an eight-year deal. Yeah. So, uh, well, year one. Year one, I guess, coming yeah. In. Yeah, so, so um, you know, I, I do think there'll be a surprise, though. You know, like another, you know, I, I was... I was curious when they signed Sharon Govich and the first thing they did was sign him after they traded for him, they signed him to a two-year deal that walked him into unrestricted Right to UFA, like, yeah. Like, you know, I'm like, okay, well, he had the bargaining power, I guess, for them to do that. And, you know, fine. But now that everybody's all excited about Sharon Govich and it's like, wow, what a fine this guy was. What a great trade. And maybe he's one of the guys we build for moving forward. Well, you've only got one year of Diego Sharon Govich. And then he's going to cash in huge and you're going to have to pay market value like everybody else, which is going to be what, <laughs> who knows right now, but you know, it's going to be pricey. It's going to be probably double the 3.1 million he makes right now. So it's hard to say who you're going to peg the future around, but to me, guys like Coleman are guys you build your franchise around. What do you think about that? Yeah, I don't. And, and I think there's something to be said about that because, you know, we've had this conversation about certain players wanting to be here, not wanting to be here. It's why it's why I can't sit here. Like, I definitively believe that they, and as much as I love Chris Tanev and how much of a cultured guy he is, I think they should trade Chris Tanev. I, I really do. I just think... And that's fair. I, I just yeah, think I, the, the what you can get for him is mm -hmm. so... Like, I think you're going to be able to have four, five, six, seven, eight teams like coveting this guy, and I just think you need to cash in on that because he's a culture guy here, and other teams know that he's a culture guy there, and I just think teams will pay a premium to bring him in this this trade deadline. And I and he's 34. He's 34 years old. That's the thing. The the difference between him and the, him and Noah Finn. It, Noah, Noah turned Finn. 27 yesterday. He did. He Huge did. Huge difference. Yeah. Huge difference. Uh. And I just, the, on Hannafin, though, the reason why I, I think that there is still a really good argument to be made about re-signing him and why I can, you know, only really go, like, right now I'm like 55-45 on trading Hannafin. And the reason why there's so much of a door open on the other side is because of the age, because of the player that he is, because, as you said, I don't think he's part of the problem. And the other thing is, I think there's a real inherent value in having an American player say, now, you know what, Calgary's the place that I want to commit. And and I think there is a value going forward two, three years down the road of Noah Hannafin being an ambassador to other players saying, yeah, you know what, I stayed here and I'm happy that I stayed here and that I 
decided that Calgary was going to be the place that I spent the majority of my career. And Blake Coleman, in his first time hitting unrestricted free agency, yeah, maybe he did get an extra year. I don't know. Maybe he did get more in Calgary than he would have elsewhere. But Blake Coleman chose Calgary to raise a family. Blake Coleman chose Calgary to come here and, and spend yeah. the the best the, the remaining best parts of his career. Uh, and, and I think that there's something important about that. And I still think you need to have a culture. And so... Coleman's one of those guys that I think, and, and is not a pending unrestricted free agent, that I think you still need to keep around. You, and to your point, I don't think you just trade everyone. You have your UFAs. Those are the guys that have pending decisions. But it doesn't also mean that, well, anybody who is over the age of 27, you got to go. They're trading everybody. It doesn't, doesn't work that way. And even if it did work that way, I don't think that's best for your long term either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, and and I have to counter everything by saying Gretzky got traded, and yes, so everybody is everything's possible. So, you, I, I I try to shy away from absolutes and saying, oh, they absolutely will not trade Markstrom until the summer, at the very earliest, or you know, and I don't want to say those things because you never know what could happen with an injury around the league. With the team needs their star goalie mm-hmm. replaced. He's, They've got LTIR room, like, you know what I mean, room because of that. It's it's all going to be so fascinating. Listen, the storylines, if you're a fan of this team this year, I, I dare say you're as engaged as you have been in a while. I, I know that right now, particularly after losing four games in a row, you're probably frustrated, you've given up, oh, this team's not good enough, blow it up, whatever. But you care right now. Everybody who follows this team has an opinion on which way they should go with various players, which way they should go as an organization. Uh, some people are just kind of stuck in the middle. They could see arguments on both sides. And that's exactly where this GM is on all these players or most of these players, I'm sure. Um, but engagement is, is high right now. And, and, and people are scared that they're going to make the wrong moves. There are people that are excited that they're going to, you know, start cashing in unlike they have in many, 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 many mm-hmm. years here. But the the bottom line is, and you you know you're probably seeing it with your phone in calls after the show, uh, with your text line, uh, people are engaged and everybody's got an opinion. And this team, I'll say one thing, they're not boring. Um, I don't I, I don't think the games are boring for the most part. I mean the NHL in general is not what it was 10 20 years ago. There's the old man in me, um, <laughs> where guys used to hit and stuff and 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 stuff like that. But but are I you I, shaking you know, a stick at a cloud. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know who else is with me? Sarchi. You know, we sit there during the games all the time and we're constantly like, why didn't you blow that guy up? Why didn't you hit him? Like the amount of deferred hits that we see in today's NHL is just stunning to me. Uh, anyway, we're not going down. That <laughs> so uh, uh, the, anyway. Now, what do you think about the shootout? Let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, man. And a dollar doesn't go as far as it used to go these days. Anyway, uh, it's. It's an interesting time. It's a fascinating time. Engagement is high. Are you seeing that? Are you seeing yeah. that on text line? And yep. People are really into this, like invested. And that's good. That's a good thing for this organization right now as they're at a real crossroads. Well, and it goes back to something that you said, I don't know, two, three months ago, maybe, like, or, or whenever it was. It's also, it, it is an exciting time if, if you're a Flames fan, even though, like, in the moment, Watching that Columbus loss, that was not exciting. And this four-game no. losing skid on the the homestand, 
a homestand that, by the way, we entered saying, geez, the Flames could really make a move here in the playoffs, and they could really start to put themselves in a better situation, and instead they've made a move the opposite way. They made a move, all right. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) But, we, you know, we, we, this is not exciting. This is not fun in the moment and, and in the vacuum, but the opportunity the Flames have to really put themselves in a better spot, I think does excite Flames fans and the wondering and, and what's going to happen and how much younger they can get and what type of pieces they can bring back. I, I do think that there is an excitement there. And and I personally think, you know, the the Toffoli trade and the Zadorov trade gives you an idea that Craig Conroy is ready to to make deals that bring back younger players and bring back draft picks, even for guys that are very established. Let's not forget, as much as people hated the Zadorov return, they brought back nothing on the roster for Nikita Zadorov. They got worse on their roster when they traded Zadorov for two picks. And that, that should give you an idea that if that's the best return that Lindholm's going to get, I, I don't think he'll hesitate in doing it. Even if even if there might be other ones that have players or, or prospects involved, if the best overall package is, is just things that are going to help you way down the road in two or three years, I, I think he's prepared to make those moves. And, and I think that that is something that, that excites Flames fans that, Finally, we, we might actually see deals like this and, and a few of them. And do you think that the last four games, uh, you know, has opens the door even wider for that possibility? Or do you think that that was always the way he was going to play? Because I think that he was still, I mean, the reason why they put all the contract talk on hold for a while there was because he just really needed to see what he had. Yep. And I think right up until this six-game homestand, I bet you they had it in there, circled in their calendar, right at the All-Star break, we're making our final decision to see, and we'll know what we have. And I think with these last four games, I know you can't be swayed by the, the, the night before game or the, or the week before, but I just think these four games are the final nail in the coffin in terms of realizing that you can only make trades that look to the future. And you're open to trading Lindholm yeah. and getting nothing for this roster for the rest of the year, and that that's fine. I agree with you on that one. Yeah, and I agree that I, I do think that this homestand has made an impact on that too. I kind of be hard to suggest it. How how could it not? The way this thing has gone, that they, they really put themselves in a position to make a move up the standings and have done such a miserable job of doing so that it's gone the complete opposite direction. They. They were three games above 500 when they stole one against Arizona, and now they're a game below. I, I would it would be hard to see how this little stretch couldn't be kind of the the last last rubber stamp on the way they were going. And yet, through it all, when I talk about Noah Hannafin and and reasons why I think you sign him because he's going to be in his prime for the next five six years, like the bulk of this eight year deal, he'd be like in his prime, and. And he's comfortable here, and he'd be making a statement that a U.S. player wants to stay here. Like mm-hmm. there are residual benefits as well, as you had kind of alluded to. But that top four with Uyghur and Anderson number one and two, Hannafin number three, and now Oliver Shillington number four. Like that's one of the better foursomes in the National Hockey League. Like I'll stand by that statement. I I, I know that the team is nowhere near that, but I think that's a top ten or twelve top four in the NHL 
we, we showed the stat last night this year, you know, it's the only team in the league with three defensemen with 25 or more points. Mm-hmm. You know, Colorado's got Taves and McCarr. Uh, Vancouver's got Ronick and Quinn, Hughes. Um, you know, they've only got two each, but and, – and whatever. Stats could be whatever you want them to be, but I just think w- with the addition of Shillington, who we know can pile up the points too once he gets up to speed, like – but my question to you is, is that a good thing? Is it a good thing if your base, probably the strength of your whole organization is your top four defensemen and your goaltending? And I know that people who want the tank job are going to say, no, that's a bad thing. We don't want a good top four. But to me, moving forward, being realistic, I think that's a really good idea to have a top four like that in front of especially a young goalie who's trying to make sure he builds confidence in his first year in the NHL next year. It's, um, I, I think it's got the potential to really help you. If, if the goal is to be much more competitive and ready to compete and, and be a team that's a factor uh, in, in three, four years, I think having the the guys that you're talking about in the age ranges that you're talking about, you know, Rasmus Anderson, Oliver Shillington, Noah Hannafin, all around the same age, I and and then Mackenzie Weger is kind of the the at that point would be kind of the the trusty veteran who kind of profiles like Mark Giordano. I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I, I think it it gives you an ability to um, be a team that yeah you know you've got a foundation once some of these other younger players are maybe ready to make more of an impact. Mm-hmm. And and when we look at the depth chart on the blue line, there's no one really sexy coming up except for Poirier, right? I mean, yeah, you know, like anytime soon. Moran you know, the, is still a little ways away, I would think. For so, sure, yeah. He's exciting. I, I think he's very exciting, but I still think that's, what, three, four years yeah. away? And, and there are a lot of people who who are just of the mindset, and you've, you've heard them on the text line and, and heard them on the calls, they want this whole rebuild to 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 revolve around being a good team when the new building opens. Yep. yep. I get that. I get that. But I'm just that's not it's not the way this organization's mindset is. So, uh, yet ideally they'd love to be really hitting full stride by then. But I think that they want to, you know, again, kind of be straddling that line of being competitive, having a good, positive, winning environment moving forward, even if that's just 500 for the next couple of years. Um, they think that there's huge merit to that. Listen, part of the reason why they sent Coronado down earlier this year was because it was kind of toxic in that room, not personality-wise, but because the team had lost six in a row in their opening 10 games. They're like, I think we got to get him out of here right now. A, a it wasn't, the most important thing was it, it wasn't working and he was yeah. losing confidence and he was a step behind and all that. But they also a big part of it, and, and I talked to them about I talked to Don Maloney about this last week. Like a big part of it, they did they wanted to get him out of here because this was not a good place to be right now for in terms of people's mindsets, and they mm-hmm. didn't want the young guy to be tainted by that. So that is a big part of the 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 mindset that this organization has. They don't want to put guys in a place where they're the Chicago Blackhawks for the next three or four years, losing constantly and no fun to go to the rink. 
We are underway this hour on the Eric Francis Hour. Uh, it is uh, Eric Francis from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. Pat Steinberg along with you on Flames Talk. And the Eric Francis Hour continues. So we got lots still to get to, including, uh, including we'll, we'll, we'll turn it a little bit more positive because there was something really positive on Thursday night, a pretty obvious one. The Eric Francis Hour is brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta. The Alberta horse racing and breeding industry has a $312 million positive economic impact Impact in Alberta annually. Visit thehorses.com 18 plus. Please play responsibly. Talking your team right now. Flames Talk is on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. It's the Eric Francis Hour with uh, Francis of Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. Eric Francis Hour every Friday here on Flames Talk. Steinberg along with you as well. Well, there's been a lot of bad news recently, Eric. We, we know that. But Oliver Shillington is indeed back. And you mentioned that a few minutes ago when talking about this top four has the potential of being really strong going forward, especially if Noah Hannafin does come back. And then Oliver, the fact that we can now put Oliver Shillington as part of that, because I think we all have a pretty good idea the Flames will be able to bring him back. His contract does expire at the end of this year, but there's a lot of gratitude from the Shillington side of things in terms of how how the Flames have, have handled this on their end and how supportive and, and how empathetic and all of it the, the Flames have been throughout this entire process of Oliver coming back. So I think we all have a pretty good idea that Oliver will be back beyond this year, and that's awesome. So just the fact that we can have that conversation, Eric, the fact that you can go and nitpick the way he played against Columbus or say that, you know, yeah, could, should he have played more than 13 minutes? Or, you know, is there a, is there a better D partner for him to play with? Like we're talking about hockey and Oliver Shillington again. It was awesome to see. Hey, beautiful moment and and well done, Calgary. The way you, the way the crowd, you know, we knew it was going to be stirring. Um, it was it was a prolonged applause. There were some people who stood. Um, it, it was just, it was one of those nights. I, I dare say it's one of those moments you don't forget, especially if you were there. So, uh, kudos to the way. It's symbolic of the way the organization has handled him, the way people in this city, of course, everybody's empathetic to someone uh, who's gone through, you know, a tough month mental stretch. And, and and I know that most people don't have a clue what he's he's gone through, and that's that's the way it's going to stay publicly for sure. And and that's that's obviously the way it should, right? As it should, so yeah. His, his own life, right? So, um, I I just think. What a what an amazing moment for him to say after the game that, like he said earlier in the week, there were times when I didn't think I'd ever be here. And I bet you most fans thought there was probably times when people are like, oh, well, he'll, he'll never come back. Um, it is interesting, though, as you say, he's a, he's an unrestricted free agent. Yeah. And it would be it would be quite shocking, you know, to your point, if he just said, no, nah, I'm going to go somewhere else. <laughs> um, can't see it happening with all the goodwill that was built up and and listen, every effort was made, of course, to try and make this uh, this young man feel comfortable to come back and, yep. and and try to get some normalcy back in his life again. And he used that word a couple times last night, like last night felt normal, which is what he's str- been striving for for years. And uh, and I just think, I think most people thought that he'd probably be put in the starting lineup, and they didn't have to do that. And they, you know, it was one of those ones where they dropped the puck and he immediately raced off the ice to put so that Tanner would have his regular partner back. But they wanted him to have that moment. And 
that's symbolic of the fact that this organization's done everything possible yep. to to make this guy feel like a million bucks. And and it's a great story. So it's a it's a really happy story. So I was happy to be see that last night, experience it. Uh, I love that Michael Backlund said goosebumps. Um, he look, he wasn't the only one with goosebumps last night, and that's a that's a pretty cool thing. Yep, really neat. Good for Oliver. Good on the Flames. And now I'm looking forward to game good. two. Yeah, he looked great. Yeah. yeah, and maybe he goes from 13 to 15 minutes on on Saturday against Chicago, and you know gives uh, gives us a little bit more intrigue into a game against the Blackhawks that otherwise doesn't maybe have as much intrigue as you'd want it to have uh, at this time of year. The the other good piece of news is when, when you hit the road um, and, and you meet up with everybody and, and you join the group in Boston for that four game Northeast road trip after the all-star break flames play their final game prior to the break Saturday against Chicago. Then they have eight days without a game and they reconvene Tuesday, Feb six in Boston to start a four gamer against the Bruins. You know, you wonder, Eric, if Jacob Pelche is with the team. You wonder if Kevin Rooney is with the team. They're going to play Friday night for the Wranglers against San Jose in the American League. Both Rooney and Pelche will play for the first time since they had their shoulder injuries and sustained them in training camp. So you wonder if, because right now, you talked about it a little earlier. They lost Rizichka. Greer's out long term. Um, and a few other um, a few other things that have happened here. You know, all of a sudden, you you wonder if the fourth line looks even more different come after the All Star break. And boy, and this is no knock on on Kevin Rooney, but boy, the excitement around getting Jacob Pelche back in the lineup might be something to to get Flames fans a little bit more engaged after the break. You bet it is. And he told me a great story. I went to watch Wranglers practice the other day, and uh, and just wanted to go and chat with with Jacob and. Uh, we the two of us just kind of stood there and had this great chat. And he told me this story about how it, one of his first practices back with the Wranglers, he had a massive collision at center ice with another player. And you know, anyone who's had shoulder surgery in pro sports will tell you like that you're you're really interested, curious, nervous, whatever the word is, to see how you respond to that first big hit. And he didn't expect to get it in a practice, but him and another player uh, ran into each other. And guess who the other player was? It's got to be Rooney. Chris Rooney. The two guys who had shoulder surgery within a week of each other, the same surgery, the same rehab, and there they are both trying to gingerly kind of work their way back into pro (laughs) hockey. And they ran into each other with a massive collision. He said, he said it was, we both rocked each other. None of us saw it coming. We both kind of looked at each other like, you okay? Uh, yeah, I'm okay. You okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Cool. Oh, that was cool then. <laughs> so it's good to hear that he responded well. Now, the hits are going to be even bigger and uh, you know more hellacious and dangerous when he plays this weekend potentially, but the fact that he's playing and the timeline seems good. I'm not, I don't think they want to rush him. They want to be so careful with him uh, and, and with Rooney, but I do think that a week or two, I, like I don't think he'll be on that Boston trip. Um, but I guess it wouldn't shock me. They need fourth line players, and he's the perfect one to start there. I think ultimately they want him playing a little higher up in the lineup. But yeah. they don't mind starting him on the fourth line. And they, what they always say about him, and they love, is that he can play any of the four lines. So, yeah, we're going to see him soon. We're going to see him in the month of February, no question. I just don't know if it's going to be that first trip coming out of Boston. I guess how he plays this weekend and how he feels this weekend, um, and and how he feels going into the All Star break for the AHL. 
uh, we'll say a lot about you know where he's at and what his next step is. Well, it's interesting because um, the Wranglers play so that their their situation is as such. So they're starting off a five game road trip Friday night in San Jose. I, I we don't I, I don't know if it's complete. Like remember when Oliver Shillington came back, he played the one game but didn't play the second leg of the back to back. So we're not sure. They've got two in San Jose this weekend. We know they're going to play the Friday night to Rooney and Pelche, and then we'll see if they get into the second half of the back to back. But then the Wranglers have three more games on the road: two in Coachella Valley and one in Ontario before they hit their All Star break. So. The last game for the Wranglers is Saturday, February 3rd before their All-Star break. So if you have Pelche and Rooney play, say, three or four of the five, and then the Flames are at the same time as the Wranglers are ending, the Flames are starting that road trip, you can at the very least see, yeah, okay, maybe it, maybe it is just a natural progression if, Pelche hits all the the signposts they want him to hit, and if Rooney does the same thing, maybe it could happen. And if not, then when they come back and play their next home game after that four-game road trip, it would uh, almost certainly be then, right? You would think. I would think. And again, they don't need to rush it because, again, as we kind of talked about, this season is – it's not about this season uh, so much as it is about long-term for Jacob Pelche. He's, you know – symbolic of the way the organization yep. looking at things at the trade deadline too. So, you know, we'll see him soon and he'll bring that energy. Uh, just chatting with him just for about 10 minutes the other day, man, he, you, you walk away feeling like you want to climb a mountain. He's got so much energy and it's infectious and that's why the boys love him. And I know there've been a lot of people around town talking about, you know, at some point, why don't they put Pelche on a line with Huberto? Cause they're good buddies. And maybe, you know, he can kind of reinvigorate Huberto to get him back on track and, these are all intriguing, interesting things, and you're going to see all those combos in the second half of this season because uh, it's all about just trying to see what's going to work in the future. Okay, let's um, let's wrap it up on the Eric Francis Hour this week with a, a few rapid-fire things. Um, maybe uh, maybe start with uh, the sad news is uh, it's another uh, that's another loss from the uh, the Stampeders family in recent memories. Uh, we, memory rather, you know, just uh, just still kind of reeling from the loss of Burke Dales, and then uh, uh, an, a, another loss that we uh, that the Stampeders family and the Calgary football family is feeling this week. Yeah, Bruce Coverton. I, I I got an email from Barb Higgins uh, earlier this week, and and with and, and shared the news with me, and I, I put it on Twitter and. You know, got quite a response. I mean, obviously, a lot of people in this city knew him. He's 57 years of age, so his days in the CFL when he was an O-lineman with the Stamps are a long time ago, and I get that a lot of our listeners probably never heard of of Tuna, but uh, he, you know, the guy was uh, one of these guys who was still active in the community right up until oh, yeah. the end, and and uh, and no one saw this coming. He just died in his sleep and, you know, didn't wake up. I think it was Monday morning. All the days run into one another, but... And I just seen a photo of him and Burke Dales at a recent alumni event together, just the two of them. And I was like, come on, really? This is just not right. So uh, just kind of wanted to share my love for Bruce on the air and, and, uh, and you know, pass on my condolences to other, others of his friends. I called Stu Laird right away, and, you know, he was having a tough day that day. Everybody was when when – because it's so sudden and it was so unexpected, and he'd really done a good job, you know, as a businessman, uh, his personal life was really in order. He was in a great place, and yeah. uh, it just doesn't seem fair. So, yeah, 
sad, sad news to lose Tuna. And I don't have details on the uh, celebration of life, but when I do, I, I'll share them on Twitter. Okay, awesome. That's uh, that's good to hear. Yeah, Bruce was part of those glory years for the Calgary Stampeders. You know, the 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 Flutie years, the Garcia years, like that. Yeah, he was right there as part of it. So, uh, yeah, thoughts and prayers to the Coverington family and 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 to the Stampeders family because you know how close knit that alumni group is and and how you know. That that you say a stamp when when you're a Stampeder for a long time you say a stay a Stampeder for life and and that's one of the things that has made that organization so special and so mm-hmm. you know inside that front office and and uh, around McMahon Stadium that was uh, an absolute uh, gut punch as well so that that was that was horrible so I'm glad that you could uh, you could share that and and uh, yeah. So stay tuned, Eric, on uh, on Twitter for uh, the details of the celebration of life. Um, also, moving on, our our buddy Rolly Sear is moving on from CSEC. Yeah, I was so sad to throw that out on Twitter today, too. Like, you know, it's all he's decided he wants to move on. And he's been 22 years with the with the Flames and, you know, largely in a ticket, a ticketing role. He's a VP over there. But anyone who's ever dealt with him, like he's as he's as jovial and as upbeat a guy as you'll probably ever meet in your life. Like, and I would dare say that he was when you talk about heart and soul of the flames organization, I, I, I'm not sure I could find a name that's, that's higher on the list than him. Probably Conroy's right up there. Uh, but they're in the same company like this guy. And again, maybe many of our listeners don't know who he is, but behind the scenes, this is a guy who helped raise millions and millions and millions Absolutely. of dollars with the golf tournament. The poker tournament was his baby is his baby. And, uh, I don't know. I, I'm going to still see Rolly around. I'm going to play golf with him, but, but uh, I'm one of the lucky ones. The other people who used to see him a lot and are not going to see him moving forward for a while, that's tough. Uh, but anyway, all the best to Rolly Sear. Uh, he he sure earned a, the, the, you know, he earned the opportunity to move on and, you know, as he wanted to. And, uh, man, I'm going to miss that guy's smiling face. around. He'll be around the Dome a lot with that beautiful mustache oh, and probably a large stogie. Mustache. Yeah. If you've... Uh... If you've ever been a Flames client, you've been entertained by Rolly Sear. That yeah. Man, that man is, look, we always use the term beauty. That guy would have a yes. picture beside beauty in the dictionary. Um, so uh, good on him and, and whatever he's doing next, uh, I, I hope he kills it because he is uh, just one of a kind human being and awesome. And like type of dude that he meets you once and runs into you two years down the road, he'll pick up your bar tab. And I've, I've, I've hung out with him. Uh, when he's entertaining clients before, like it is the first class experience, and the guy goes all night. And anyway, absolutely yeah. awesome guy. Huge loss for CSEC, but but in a way that they can celebrate the two plus decades that uh, he spent there. So um, yeah. good on Rolly, and I'm glad that we got a chance to recognize that. And let's um let's wrap it up with a long-awaited triumphant return to Hockey Night in Canada for. The gentleman on the name of this hour. What is Eric Francis doing on Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday night? This is uh, this is a big deal. I don't know about that, but it's going to be it's fun. Deal. I'm PVR. No, it's it. not. And you're very kind, but uh, Scott Oak has asked me to co-host After Hours uh, tomorrow, Saturday night, with uh, Chris Tanev as our guest, and uh, I think we're going to have a ton of fun. Uh, I've always enjoyed that show, magazine style, kind of just, hey, let's have a three-way conversation with a and 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 have some laughs and uh, I'm looking forward to that with Mr. Tanev and I was uh, I was I was honored that Mr. Oak asked me to uh, 
to join him. It'll be, uh, it's been like 10 or 11 years since, since I ruined the, uh, <laughs> the hot stove, uh, since I drove the hot stove the, <laughs> into the ground. Uh, so the satellite hot stove on, on Hockey Night in Canada. So I enjoyed my years there and I'm happy that they're having me back in, uh, in this small capacity. Really cool. That'll be fun. That's Saturday night. I will see you Saturday morning. Thank you, pal. Good hour as always. Hey, Cheers, buddy. Always enjoy our chats. We'll see you tomorrow. That is Eric Francis. He's on Twitter, at Eric Francis. And that wraps us up this hour. This hour has been the Eric Francis Hour on Flames Talk, brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta. The Alberta horse racing and breeding industry has an $83 million positive economic impact in Calgary annually. Visit thehorses.com, 18+. plus. Please play responsibly.